All that's left to do today is to preach. He loved that part. In these first few days without my dad on this earth, without your pastor, I've been overwhelmed by the number of people that have reached out and called, texted, sent their love, visited our home, shared their thoughts and sent their love. And as people have visited and family, I'm not going to look this way much today. There's been a constant theme in all of our memories. My dad loved. And your pastor loved. As a son, he was a loving son. As a husband, he was a passionate and loving husband. As a dad... As a dad, he loved me by protecting, by providing, by nurturing, and by caring. He cared about whatever we did. We've all been through different things. Justin been through 75 cars. <laughs> and dad pretended he was interested in all of them. Might have been. Then he joined the police and Justin would come home late at night and dad would just listen. Because he cared. He'd make him scrambled eggs at 11 at night or whatever time he came home in the morning. And he would just ask. Because he cared. John went into the army. And when they would talk, I would try to sense what the conversation was about, but sometimes it was hard. Because dad wouldn't be the one doing a lot of talking. He would ask questions about what was going on. What they were doing next. What can you tell me, what can't you tell me? Because he cared. My whole life, whatever I've been involved with, he's been interested. The last five years I've gotten into hunting a lot. He probably may not care a lick. But he's tried to learn things and pay attention because he cared. But more than anything, he loved as a father by quietly and faithfully pointing us to God. Not always yelling it. Not always even saying it. But with his life. And as a pastor, he loved you in the same way. By protecting you. By helping with hardship or shielding you from unneeded problems. I can't tell you how many funerals or moments that I've been to when someone lost a loved one and he intercepted someone on the way 
to talk to the family. And he had this way of not doing it in a mean way, but he would just stir up conversation with them, knowing that that wasn't what the family needed at the moment. He would provide for this church. He nurtured spiritually and physically, and he cared. Many of you, when you had your conversation with him, you may have noticed, you may think back and realize how much you were talking about whatever was going on in your life. He knew what everyone was doing, and even if he didn't know a thing about whatever topic it was, he'd still ask. He'd ask how your job was, how your job search was going, that cousin living in the middle of who knows where that has some trouble, he'd ask. Because he loved. And he loved this church by quietly and faithfully pointing us to God. He loved deeply and he loved passionately. He loved his family. He loved his church. He loved those who he met in his community. He just simply loved. Though I will never forget his love, I do understand that he is no longer here to express that love physically. But he has not left me hopeless. And he has not left me in unending sorrow. He has left me with one who loves far deeper. Who loves me by protecting me. By providing by nurturing, who loves me by caring, and who loves me by constantly pointing me to the greater purpose that is the glory of the Lord. And his name is Jesus. Amen. I'd like you to look at John chapter 3 this morning, just two verses. Thank you. We've been sitting a while. I understand if you cannot, if you'd like and would, that I'd love for people to stand for the reading of God's Word. It may help us stretch for just these last few moments as we finish out our service today. John 3.16. I'm going to try to talk a little faster now. I'm normally a fast talker, so it's been a little different today. John chapter 3, look at verse 16. For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten Son, that whosoever believeth in him should not perish, but have everlasting life. For God sent not his Son into the world to condemn the world, but that the world through him might be saved. Father, we ask you now as we open your word, our emotions, several, many of us, our emotions are stirring, and we're not exactly sure how to feel or how to think. But I ask that for just these few moments, you'd clear our minds and thoughts and hearts, that we would understand your word, that we would hide in and behind the cross of Christ, and that you would be glorified. 
and that dad would be pleased. In your name, amen. You may be seated. John 3.16 is likely the most famous verse in all of Scripture. Year after year, Google that puts out their studies and different things, year after year, John 3.16, since they've started keeping that kind of data and analytics and all this stuff, it's been the most searched verse on Google every year since they started keeping that track. I, I would sure that nearly, if not all, Christians have heard or know the verse by heart. Most people in our society and our culture have at least seen it referenced on a sign at a football game, on a football player's eyes, or at a rally of some sort, or somewhere in our lives we've seen at least the reference. It's a verse that many even non-Christians know and sometimes quote. And you know, some passages are obscure, and they take a little bit more explaining, and they take a little bit more time to walk through the passage and gain a full understanding of what's going on, and that's not necessarily the case here. It's a verse that we have known, that we have read, we probably know the context that Nicodemus, this Pharisee, is coming to Jesus in the night because of his embarrassment, and Jesus is shocking Nicodemus, telling him that redemption is for the world and not just for Israel, and that his kingdom is not just to set up and conquer the Romans, but his kingdom is for all men, regardless of race and creed and, and belief and thought and opinion, but that it's for all of the world. And Jesus shocks Nicodemus in how he describes these things. And we know that context, and we know this verse, but because of our familiarity with it, often uh, we can kind of slide into this thought, well, oh, I've heard that passage since I was a kid. I've known that verse since I was a child. Or maybe even our hearts think, oh, I've known that verse since I was a child. It's a verse that we cling to in times maybe of need or when our faith is shaken. It's a verse of comfort. It's a verse that we use in outreach. It's a verse of love. But I'd like to look at two, just two surprising words in this passage this morning. And maybe even when we grasp them this morning, they'll be shocking words from John 3.16. Let me read it for you again with a slightly different emphasis. For God so loved the world that He gave His only begotten Son that whosoever believeth in him should not perish but have everlasting life. Did you pick up those words, the two W words? World and whoever, whosoever. Surprising words, shocking words. And the truth is that today everyone in this room and everyone in this world and everyone in our community and everyone that has ever lived is in one of those two words, the world or the whosoever. And God so loved the world that He gave His only begotten Son that whosoever believeth in Him should not perish but have everlasting life. Let's look at that word world for just a moment. What's shocking is that God loved the world. This is not just saying God loved the world in pity or God loved the world because they didn't deserve to be loved. We're, he didn't look down at the world as some uh, lonely puppy and say, well, oh, I, now I love that. God loved the world from before the time He created it. 
But the word world here is not just speaking about our globe, and it's not talking about the trees and the fields and the mountains and the nature of the world. That's not the word that is used here. In fact, John, the book of John particularly, uses the word several times. Jesus uses it while he's teaching, and he uses it unlike any of the other Gospels do. He uses it in a very different way. And to get the context of the world that Jesus is saying that God loved, we have to look at a couple other verses. So just flip through them with me if you would, and and we'll read them. If you just want to listen, that's fine too. John chapter 1, verse number 10 says, He was in the world, and the world was made by Him, and the world knew Him not. Flip over to chapter 7, verse 7. The world cannot hate you, But me it hateth, because I testify of it, that the works thereof are evil. John chapter 14, verse number 17. Even the Spirit of truth, whom the world cannot receive, but it seeth him not, neither knoweth him, but ye know him, for he dwelleth in you and shall be And you look at chapter 14, the same chapter, look down at verse 30. Hereafter I will not talk much with you, for the prince of this world cometh. Chapter 15, the next page, maybe for some of you, look at verse number 18. If the world hates you, ye know that it hated me. What hated Jesus? The world hated me before it hated you. Look at chapter 16, verse number 19. Jesus teaching again one final verse. And now Jesus knew that they were desirous to ask him and said unto him, Do you inquire among yourselves of that I said a little while and you will not see me? And yet again a little while and you shall see me. Verily I say unto you that you shall weep and lament, but the world shall rejoice. So Jesus says to his disciples, I'm going to leave in a little while. And you, like we are today, are going to be sad and grievous and upset. But the world will rejoice. So what do we see that Jesus says about the world? If you read through the book of John, when Jesus, those are all his words. When Jesus talks about the world, what does he say? The world doesn't know me. The world doesn't see me for who I am. The world hates me. He says it several different times. The world hates me. The world can't understand. The world doesn't know. And he even says, as far as the world will be excited that I'm gone. And so when Jesus says in John chapter 3, God so loved the world, that's the same world that he speaks about all through the book of John that hated God. And so when you read, for God so loved the world, it's not just that he looked down and saw poor people and sick people and upset people and grieving people, and he had pity on them. He looked down and he saw a world that hated him. He looked down and he saw a world that had nothing for him, that would not understand him, and that would not know him. He looked down and he saw a world that rejected him. They knew him not. It says that he came to his own and his own received him not. That's the world that God loves. And so when it says that word love, that agape love, it means universal to all men and it means unconditional with nothing bearing weight from us. My life can't earn God's love because it says that He already loves me. He loves me unconditionally. He loves me fully. One of the things in Dad's passing is 
just stuck out of my heart as I can't imagine how much God loves me because I know how much my dad did. And we can't imagine how much God loves this world, though they hate Him. And before we are Christians, we are part of the world. We have all been part of the world. What does it mean to hate? What does He mean? Does He mean that they're going to pick up stones and stone me? They tried to do that a couple of times. Does does the word hate mean like, well, they just don't want to talk to me or they don't want to do this or they're going to try to sabotage me? There's a lot of things to it, but think about hate in the very base form of its essence. It's just simply the desire that something not exist. I hate bananas. (laughs) Hate them. And my hatred of bananas is manifest I don't want to go get all the banana cheese and chop them down. I don't want it to be fun. I don't want to take a gun and shoot all the bananas. I don't want to go to Kroger and dump over the bananas and scream at them. I just don't ever want to see them again. I don't ever want them to be on this earth. I don't want to smell one. I don't want to touch one. I don't want to taste one. I want them to go away. And so what does it mean when Jesus says of the world, the world hated me? What he really is saying there is not that they always wanted to kill Jesus, though in our sin as a world we did. Not just that we hated Jesus in the sense that we had some vicious animosity to him. They just said, go away. You can speak. You can teach. You can heal. You can work miracles. You can feed us. But don't tell us what we need to do in our lives. We don't mind if you're here, and we don't mind if you're involved with other people's life, but don't come into mine. I don't care that somebody else believes this or somebody else believes that. I just want him to leave me alone. But here's the sad truth. I'll jump a little bit to the application for later. Spoil the surprise. We often live like the world. And when I say we often live like the world, our minds think we've heard that in sermons and you've heard dad even say that at times. And and it does mean what it sounds like. Sometimes we have this mindset that we picture uh, if I'm living like the world, it means I'm out in some egregious sin. I'm living like the world. I'm committing some crime. I'm living like the world. I'm doing these awful things. But in reality, what living like the world means, according to Jesus' word, is that I just don't want him in my life. I just don't want him to have control. I want him to work. I want him to give mercy, and I want his blessings. But when he tells me something of my life that he desires of me, when he's trying to pull me a little bit more to serve him, when he wants more commitment from me, I just want that to go away. And the world hated Jesus, but often we hate him too. We would never say that. We'd never say, I hate Jesus. I hate God. But we would be relieved sometimes if he just left us alone. If he didn't work in our minds, if he didn't pin down our hearts, if he didn't push things on our conscience. That's what we would want. But in reality, God is not just trying to lord over our lives. We're going to talk about that in a moment because it's not that Jesus or God wants to just control the world. It says he loves them. That world that hated him, that world that sometimes we act like, that world that sometimes we look like, 
He loved them. And how did he love them? How did he show that love? Look at the middle of verse 16. God so loved the world that he gave. We've been talking about love the last few Wednesday nights. It's another proof that love is not emotion. Love is action. And God didn't just love us with an emotion. He loved us with an action. And he sent and he gave his only son. His only son, the only son that God ever produced. God himself, we know in this trinity it's three and one, and God himself gave himself for us. The ones that hated him. The ones that wanted nothing to do with him. God gave his son. Why? Because he loves us. You know, when people have had disagreements, you know, I don't, hopefully you don't have anybody you say, I hate this person. Wasn't even allowed to really say that growing up. You say, I hate that person, or this or that, or that, when it's the reverse, when someone hates you, someone has a disagreement with you, our first thought is not often, well, I love that person. But I'm that glad that God is not like me. Yet we still tell him, you're in my space, and you're always around. God, you're always telling me what to do. Just go away. Just disappear. And we often live like the world. But God loved us enough that he sent his son. In spite of our sin, in spite of the fact that he knew that some would reject him, in spite of the fact that he knew that we would turn against him, in spite of some of the fact that we knew we would fail him, he loved us anyway. And he sent and he gave his only son. He, sometimes someone's love is measured by the gift that they can give. And some of us may be good at giving gifts and some of us may not be good at giving gifts. Dad was good at giving gifts. He was very thoughtful. Mom usually cried at Christmas. You know, all these things. We were talking about that yesterday. And then there's other people that aren't as good at, at giving gifts. But a gift can show love. How much more could God show his love than that he give his only begotten son? And sometimes we want his son for salvation, but we don't want his son for life. And I want his son to save me from my sins because I can't do that on my own. But I don't want him to daily lead and direct me. Sometimes I want God's love, but I don't want his leading. God loves me anyway. As I've thought about dad's love towards me the last couple days, I remember that there's times where, you know, we'd be talking about this. I mean, he'd talk all the time about us leaving our bicycles outside and they rot. And I never did that. <laughs> and sometimes I'm sure we invoke this feeling of, oh, I can't believe in his heart can't believe that they did that. We did this. I expressed this. I gave them this gift. I showed them this love. And then this is how they left this. And this is how they acted. God doesn't feel that way. Because he's merciful. This is the part of the story, right? This is the part of the movie. We, we all like that part in the movie where like the bad guys are winning. 
I use this as an example sometimes. The bad guys are winning, and like they're taking over the city, or they're doing whatever they got to do, and the bad guys are winning. And then all of a sudden, it like fades into like, it, it always pans up from their shin. That's weird, right? From like foot to shin. So it's like it pans over, and all of a sudden, the hero's there, and it's like, da-da-da, and it pans up. And here is this hero coming, and you know, whether he has you know, his weapon, you know, he's ready to go or whatever. And all, all of a sudden, it's like, oh, man, they're going to get what's coming now. And our hearts feel, that feels right, right? Like you're watching it, you're going along, you're like, yeah, get those guys. They did the bad stuff, man. Go get those guys. And you're, you feel good when that happens, right? This is that part of the story where we hated God and we said, leave us alone and we sinned against God and God sent his son. This is the moment where it should pan up on Jesus and he comes to destroy this world that rejected his son, that turned away his loving and perfect gift. This is the moment that Jesus should take control and bind our sin and destroy our lives, but he doesn't. He dies for us. And he does what we cannot do. Because he loved us. And he loves us fully. Yet sometimes we struggle to grasp the fact that God loved the world. We picture that God is up in heaven somewhere and we're just down here and like, God has compassion on us sometimes, and then sometimes he doesn't, and hardships, and he's testing us, and maybe we did something wrong. It's like God has this finger that he's making life miserable for us at times. God never has ill will at heart in the lives of his people. He wants to guide them to himself. We talked for a few weeks, last week or whatever week that was. We went through Psalm 23. And we talked about how God is in control because he loves us. And if love is measured by the greatness of the gift, then God gave us his greatest gift in Jesus Christ. And I think about my dad and I think about how much he loved me and he loved his wife, he loved his sons, he loved his parents, he loved his family. God loves so much deeper. And his whole plan of redemption is rooted in love. Look at verse 17 real quick, if you would. For God sent not his son into the world to condemn the world. They were already condemned. God didn't come down and say, oh, because of your sin, I'm going to ruin your life. You already, we already ruined our life in sin when we rejected Christ. When we were born in sin. God doesn't look down and say, oh, they're sinners, I hate them. He looks down and sees us in our sin, and while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. I remember there's moments where I acted a certain way towards Dad or whatever, and he loved me anyway. God always just loves us anyway. I want to look at the second word a little more quickly this morning, but it's powerful. God so loved the world, that's the first word, world, that whosoever... Whosoever believeth in him should not perish. Isn't that a sweet word? There's no barrier 
Whoever lives in this place, whoever speaks this language, whoever looks like this, whoever lives in this country, whoever does these things, whoever pleases God most. It doesn't say any of those things. It just says whoever. And it's unconditional. And it does mean anyone, but it doesn't say everyone. You say, what do you, what do you mean by that? God loved this world. And though they are lost in their sin, and if they die lost in their sins, then forever they'll be punished for those sins. But in reality, Jesus has already taken those sins from us. And if we trust in him as our Savior, then he redeems us by his blood. He saves us from those sins. He gives us his account. He gives us his righteousness that we could never earn, that we could never gain. We, we have a love from God towards anyone. But notice it doesn't say that God, because God loved the whole world, that everyone is saved. It says whoever. It says anyone. Not everyone. Well, who is the whoever? Whoever believeth in him. There is something that God does in our hearts. And though anyone can be saved, the sad thing is that not everyone is and that not everyone will be. You must believe. And God gives you this invitation to move from the world to the whosoever. And he did it by the cross. And he showed his love. And he says, I don't want you to perish. I want you to have eternal life. I hope you've had the opportunity in your life to be introduced to the mercy of Jesus Christ. God is a holy God, a righteous God, just God, but he's loving and he's merciful and he's welcoming. And he does not rule and reign in this world to make your life miserable. He wants you to be satisfied and he wants you to be satisfied in him. So there's two kinds of people. There's two sides. There's the world and the whosoever. And I wonder this morning, which one are you? Have you come from the world to the whosoever? By the belief that it is not your goodness, it is not your works, it is not your righteousness, but it is by faith in Christ and grace alone. It is by his blood that he shed for us. But I finish with this. I wonder how many of us this morning have had God's love but lived without it. There's moments that I can look back and my dad and I did not have a perfect relationship. I don't really can't think of any regrets that I have and I'm thankful for that. But there's moments in life where he loved me but I didn't live inside that love. And I bucked against it. I fought it. And for that, I am sorry. But my Heavenly Father loves me much more. 
but I fight it. I try to solve all my own problems. I try to fix all my own things. I try to take care of everything on my own. I get upset when things don't go my way. I live my life like the world. Saying, God, help me when I need it. But don't help me when I don't want it. And I wonder this morning, we may have some people in this room that you're part of the world and you've never stepped into God's glorious whoever. But we may have some people in this room this morning, you're part of that whosoever that believes. But if you took a hard look at your life right now, it may not look like it. But what's the solution? Come to our Father. For the first time in my life, I need a daddy. But also for the, one of the first real moments in my life, I realize I already have one. And he's inviting, because like my daddy, he loves. But it's perfect. Every head bow, every eye closed this morning.